This is a night about passage. Passage from death to life. It's a passage that we all want to make. There's a strong impulse inside of every one of us to live, to know the fullness of life. Whoever we are, whatever we believe, we have a deep longing for life that's in us as human beings. But there's a problem. We're stuck in a world of death. It's all around us. You you can do amazing things. Humanity can do amazing things. Write poetry, make music and art, as many have done for us tonight. Land and walk on the moon, create artificial intelligence, harness the energy of wind and sun, run ultramarathons, raise children, and so on and so on. But we can't escape death. The proudest and strongest among us will grow old and frail, weak, and eventually will succumb to the grave. Essayist and sports writer Roger Angel provides a telling look at this process in a piece in the New Yorker from last May entitled This Old Man. Writing at the age of 93, he describes his condition, arthritis, Macular degeneration, heart blockages, nerve damage from a bout with shingles in 1996, a knee that doesn't work, pills, pills, and more pills, a a herniated disc. He writes, as of now, I'm not Christopher Hitchens or Tony, Tony Jutt or Nora Ephron. I'm not dead and not yet mindless in a reliable upstate facility. But he continues, decline and disaster impend. However great the world is, however great uh, we are, however much we soar, we all, like my son's remote control helicopter, still hit a ceiling and come crashing down. We can't break through. We can't get around death, out of death. It surrounds us and stalks us. Angel writes, death sucks. And we all agree. But that's not all. From a Christian perspective, death is just the last and strongest entity in a long line of life-diminishing realities and powers. To name just a few, envy, pride, and insecurity, consuming lust, unyielding self-centeredness. Aristotle somewhere said, luck is when the guy next to you gets hit with the arrow. Greed, sickness, and our own laziness. How are you doing on your New Year's resolutions? Many of these things come from inside of us. Some of them come from outside of us and happen to us and cause us great pain and sorrow. But both kinds diminish human life and diminish our lives. And all of them are related, like a big extended family, to death itself. The Christian word for them is sin, a life lived out of sync with the Creator's design. And they master us, causing miniature deaths in our lives every day. But they point and lead to the granddaddy of them all, to death itself, the final and great life extinguisher. There is no one on this planet who denies that we are subject to death. No one can deny that. There are many who deny that we're subject to sin. The biblical claim, the Christian claim, is that to be subject to one is by definition to be subject to the other whether we know it or not. But we're not made for imprisonment to sin and death. We're made to live. That's why that beats so deeply inside of each one of us. But is there a way out of death and out of sin 
and the life-diminishing effects that they bring? Is there a way to life? Is there a way to full life, to true life, to substantial life? Those who are imprisoned need help from the outside. Uh, El Chapo, the drug lord from Mexico, made the news quite a bit over the last year. Some for his good, some for his not so good. He escaped from a maximum, maximum security prison in Mexico last July. And his drug cartel dug a tunnel nearly a mile long, 30 feet underground from a nearby construction site to El Chapo's cell right underneath. This tunnelway, this tunnel was a passageway for him from imprisonment to freedom. Of course, six months later, he was arrested again. So the analogy breaks down, but (laughs) stick with the first part. Or consider Mark Watney, played by Matt Damon in the film The Martian, in a climate that is inhospitable to life, left on Mars. For all his brilliance and innovation, he soars quite high, honestly. He still hits a ceiling. He can't overcome his hostile environment. He needs rescue from the outside. He needs a passageway to life. And that's what we need as well. And the great joy, the great and tremendous joy of this night is the provision of a passageway out of death and into life. It's not a tunnel or a spaceship. It's a person. Jesus, our Lord. When the angel declared in Matthew 28, verse 6, he is not here, for he has risen as he said, come, see the place where he lay. He bore witness to Jesus' resurrection, to his successful passage and first ever passage from death to resurrected life. So what does that resurrected life signify? Yesterday, many of us gathered here and we reflected on the cross of Jesus, the suffering The mocking, the beating, the God-forsaken cry, the heart failure, the suffocation, the final gasp. And surely all of this was most certain defeat. Surely he had met the end and all that he had promised and proclaimed about God's kingdom and about himself was a fraud. But it wasn't. Even though no one could see it in the moment. This was Jesus, moved deeply by love for you and for me, moved deeply by love for and obedience to his Father. This was Jesus winning the most important contest ever to face humanity. The resurrection declares unambiguously that this apparent defeat is actually a resounding victory over our greatest enemy. Our great enemy is not the competitor in the lane next to us or the boyfriend or girlfriend who wronged us, not the dad who never cared, not the business that competes for the same market share, not the daughter who ripped our heart out, not even our own tempers or our bad habits. But our great enemy as humanity is sin and death. These life-mocking, life-diminishing powers from which none of us could escape. None that is but one. There was one man who could go free. In Romans 6, Paul writes, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Death no longer has dominion over him. Its powers have been broken. Jesus conquered and life prevails. And that's what we're celebrating here tonight. The resurrection of Jesus is the bedrock It's the cornerstone. It's the heart of the Christian faith and hope. 
Jesus punches a hole through the wall of sin and death. He cuts a path through the jungle. He busts through the ceiling. He is the great pioneer who in his own person and because of his great love for us takes humanity onto his back and brings us through to the other side. No longer under the dominion of sin and death, but now fully alive to God, to life, to righteousness, to wholeness, to holiness. Matthew tells us that at the moment of his death, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that the pathway to God was now completely wide open. So is there a way out of death's grasp? Absolutely yes. Jesus blazes the trail. And now he calls to us from resurrection ground where he stands and invites us to follow him on that passageway. So that begs the question, how do we take up his invitation? By uniting with him through faith. A faith and unification with Jesus that is signified in the church through the waters of baptism. Admittance to the waters of baptism. And we will be reminded of this in a few minutes when we renew our baptismal vows and covenant together. Admittance to those waters is contingent upon embracing Jesus as Lord. Upon believing in him. Upon what we say, what we call having faith. That means clinging to Jesus. That means handing over the reins of your life fully and completely to him. Letting go of control. That means entrusting your life and all of your worries and problems and anxieties and fears over to him. That means living in his way and not in our own way. And when we do that, when we walk by faith, we unite to him. And we take that passageway from death, united to Jesus who went before us, to life. We cross through, we cross over, we pass through, we pass over. What is true of Jesus is now then true of us, true of those who are united with him by faith. He lives forever. Death no longer has dominion over him. And guess what? Those who are united to Christ, we live forever too. We cannot be broken from that bond with Jesus. He has a new body, and we will too. Paul again in Romans 6, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. There's no ambiguity in Paul's words. So here's my final question. When we take that passageway, what do we find on the other side? Where do we land? It's not that life is easy. It's not that all of our problems go away. We still have bodies that get old and die. And sin and death, though conquered through the event of the cross and resurrection, still cause pain and suffering and alienation from which not one of us is immune. So what do we find on the other side? 
We find in the present, in the now, that we discover that sin's power has truly been broken over us. That because of our death with Christ, we are, as Paul says, set free from sin. And we can now, today, walk in newness of life. Which means that however much they beset you, we are no longer enslaved to envy, to greed, to lust, to pride, to violence, and to countless other things that like them, that are like them. But we are forgiven of all past wrongs. And we are free to live, to live in step with the God of life. And we are empowered, and we are encouraged, and we are comforted along the way by the presence and the power of the living Jesus in his spirit. That after he ascends to the throne, he sends out upon the church his body. And the wonderful and great exhortation of Romans 6 is that we are to live this new way now, today. In Christ, the ground beneath us has shifted and we are now children of the day standing with Jesus on resurrection ground. We must get used to this new territory where we live and now live consistently with what has happened in us and to us by the same power that worked when Christ raised physically from the grave. That same power, Paul says again and again, is at work inside of you now. Renewing you, freeing you, and bringing you into new places of life with your Father. That's where we land in the present. And in the future, we're assured that even though our current flesh and blood is wasting away, and will end in physical death, that we can never really die. Do you believe that? We're united to Jesus, who will never die again. And as Jesus rose from the grave, one day in the future and we don't know when that day is but our great king who's alive and who rose and who was the pioneer he's coming back and when he does things are going to change dramatically drastically and whether you've been dead for five minutes or for 500 years or for 5,000 years you will rise again with a new body a new creation body And live with him and reign with him over God's newly created world, the heavens and the earth. In a life that is indestructible, incorruptible, and immortal. And this is an assured fact. This is the proclamation of the church about the future that infuses our present reality and trials and sufferings and pains with a tremendous and unshakable hope that the author of Hebrews says becomes the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. This is our hope. This is our future. This is the source of our celebration tonight. You will not die. I know that sounds crazy. But that's the proclamation of the church.
rooted in this event that Jesus rose bodily from the grave. So here's the deal. The deep longings that you have for life, and every one of you, whatever you believe, you have these longings to live. They're not an accident of biology. This night proves to us that those longings for life are in fact the fingerprints of God. The God of life smudged all over and irrevocably on your soul. We want to live. And in Christ we can. The passageway to life has been cleared. It's been opened. And if you believe in him, if you walk with him, if you've laid your life in his hands, then you are united with him and are walking through that passageway. And that's what evokes the feasting and the singing and the hand raising and even the tears on a night like this. So let me say to you, if you haven't already entered in, that I genuinely hope that you will. Ask questions. Talk to the Christians that you know in your life. Come back and join us weekly or from time to time. And learn more about this proclamation that we hold as truth and history, as fact and reality, as sure as you can see your hand in front of you right now. And if you have, if you've made this passageway, then I want to encourage you and I want to remind you that whatever that you are experiencing right now in the midst of the world of death, whatever you're fighting tonight, whatever keeps besetting you, whatever seems to be tripping you up, you belong wholeheartedly, irrevocably, to the God of life. You're his. And he holds you in his resurrection power in a way that you can never, ever be let go. You're united with life himself and nothing, neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from his love, his winning love, his conquering love, his life overflowing love. You're alive. And you will never die. You're united with Christ and you will never be let go. And that's reason to celebrate. And that's reason to rejoice. And that's reason to sing. And that's reason to say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. You are too, forever. Let's stand.